Morning, everybody. Now it's good to be back up here sharing with you from God's Word. But you might be wondering, what am I doing up here when Pastor Rich is right there? You saw him a couple minutes ago, right? Let me tell you something. You know, some of you might remember that earlier this summer, or spring, summer, I was was, uh, looking for a job, right? And thankfully that's all over. I'm gainfully employed again. But... While I was looking, I got to see what all these companies were offering to try and lure in the top talent, right? So some of them, they they have uh, a lot of vacation time, a lot of flex time, so, you know, uh, good work-life balance. Some of them have uh, health plans that get you a gym membership and all this stuff. Uh, Some of them have uh, fancy new campuses on 295 where it's like a little city and they, they, they don't return my calls. And <laughs> but some of them, and this is not a major thing, but it's a nice little touch. You know, It's not something I made my decision based on, but some of them offer your birthday off. So here at Calvary Chapel, we want to keep up with the other employers in the state, and we've decided to give Pastor Rich his birthday off from teaching. <laughs> and hopefully that's enough to you know tip the scales and keep him from jumping ship and going to a credit union. <laughs> he's our top employee, you know. We've got to hang on to him. So <laughs> he's won the employee of the month for I don't know how many months running. <laughs> so he's got the day off. So today what we're going to look at, as you can see, is First Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, three familiar vo- verses that are very brief and to the point, but contains so much about the life that we're meant to live as believers. So if you want to turn there to Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we can read that together. Verses 16 to 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, these are three exhortations from Paul, three three things that he's strongly encouraging all of us to do. And, you know, when I first read it, I mean, I've read it lots of times, but when I was starting to look at this, I I thought, oh, those look like three commands. And I was actually thinking of calling this lesson three commands. But when I looked at the, uh, you know, the Greek words and everything, it's it's not... uh, in the tense that is an imperative that says it's a command. It's an, it's an exhortation. Paul is strongly encouraging them to do this. So it's not a command. Does that mean that, uh, you know, we're off the hook and we don't have to do it? No, I mean, it's written there for a reason. It's uh, written by Paul through the Holy Spirit for us. So three exhortations. David Guzik said about this, the thought isn't this is God's will, so you must do it. The thought is rather this is God's will, so you can do it. It isn't easy to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, but we can do it because it is God's will. So I wouldn't go so far as to say this is just a helpful suggestion at all. It's an exhortation, which is a very strong urging to do something. So if any of you are thinking, nah, I don't have to do that, then I I wouldn't say that, (laughs) just because it isn't uh, tensed as a command. That's right, Bruce. It's for our well-being. So as followers of Jesus, we should want to live in his will. 
You know, and this is this is, says it clearly right here. This is God's will. So Chuck Smith said about this, and I love Chuck Smith. There are certain that's not Chuck Smith, that's Charles Spurgeon. I didn't put Chuck up here. There are certain aspects of the will of God that we can, call, we can know with certainty. Whenever Scripture tells us to do a thing, we can be certain that it's God's will for us. And that's what I love about Chuck Smith, is that he, he uh, can be very plain and simple and very wise at the same time to like break it down like that. It's, it's, it's that simple. If God's will, if it says so in the Bible, then that's God's will. You know, that's, that's what he's saying here. So it says, says we should do this. It is God's will. So it doesn't get much plainer than Paul saying, this is God's will for you. You know, I like to have a lot of, uh, cert as much certainty as I can about what God's will is for my life and, and what I'm doing. And, and, you know, we all like clear instructions, right? When, we, when we're, uh, I don't know how many of you assemble furniture ever from a, a flat pack or whatever. You want clear instructions. You don't want the instructions that there's a picture and you can't really tell what it is that's going on there and, and you don't know how you're supposed to twist this thing because it doesn't have any words or it's not in English or whatever. You want the clearest instructions you can get so that you can put that thing together and that it'll still stand up after a week. So when we see these things in the Bible that where it tells us directly to do it, that's a nice clear instruction. And there are plenty of things in our Christian lives that we don't always have clear instructions about that are specific to us. You know, where should I get a job? Where should I live? Which house should I buy? Which ministry should I get involved in? You know, those kind of things uh, we have to pray about. We have to ask God to guide us. And sometimes we have to take a step of faith and do it without knowing what the next step is. But sometimes God puts it right in the Bible for us, what we're supposed to do. And in this case, we've got three things that we should do right here. It's getting very uh, echoey here. So, certainty. We've got it. This is God's will for us. Three particularly clear exhortations for us. And we also see something in common about these three things. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. So, all three of these things, there are no exceptions for. Always, continually, in all circumstances. There are things we are to be constantly doing. You know, and that's helpful too, knowing the time frame for an instruction that we have. You know, so there are certain tasks that we all have to do, right? Whether it's at our work or in our home or whatever, I have things that I have to do around the house that have a time frame they need to be done in, right? So I, when do I have to change my uh, filters on my heating system? Every three months. So I set myself a reminder. When do I have to clean the fish tank? Should be once a week. I don't always get to it, but should be once a week. I set myself a reminder. But what I don't set myself for a reminder are things that I do every day and all the time because that would be kind of annoying, right? If I had a reminder telling me to brush my teeth twice a day or to eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, you know, we, we don't need a reminder to do things that we do constantly, usually. But in this case here, we have something that we're supposed to do constantly that we do need reminding of. Now, it's not necessarily going to work to set a reminder on your phone to remind you every five minutes to do these things. First of all, we would all snooze that reminder and say we'll get to it later. 
And second of all, that, that's not really how it works. What we need is to remind ourselves, without our phones or whatever, that we need to do this. We need to do these things all the time. It's easier to forget than brushing our teeth for some reason, but it shouldn't be. So we're going to look at a little more in depth at each verse. The first one is be joyful always. Again, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> it's not time for you yet, Charles. So, <laughs> we've all heard it before, but you know, there's a big difference between joy and happiness. You know, happiness comes and goes, but joy is all the time. Joy can be all the time. We should have joy all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're, when we have joy that we're like a super bubbly, excited person all the time. Now, some people are very naturally cheerful, and that's great. Those people are, a great, are an encouragement to other people. But if, if I walked in next week, and all of you who I've known for varying amounts of time, and some of you are cheerful, and some of you aren't as cheerful, nothing against you, and you all were like super excited next week, I'd wonder what got into the water, you know, what, what kind of medication everybody was taking and didn't give me any, you know. <laughs> so, because <laughs> that's, that's a personality thing, you know, to be cheerful, to be bubbly, to be super excited. That's kind of an outer thing. Uh, and if you have that, great. But there are plenty of people who have uh, an inner joy that you can see in them, even though they're quiet or they're, they're peaceful. You can see that they've got peace with God and, they, and they're spending time with God and you can see that they have joy in their lives. They're, they're at peace. They're not necessarily one of those people who are like super peppy, but they have peace. And that's okay too. That's great. It's not about our level of enthusiastic expression, whether we have joy or not. So that's not the, not the exhortation that Paul is calling us to. To be joyful is to be exciting all the time. What he's saying is that we should have this inner joy. Joy doesn't, shouldn't come and go with whatever's going on around us because it comes from God and God is always the same. Now, at the same time that I tell you, you don't all have to be bubbly and excited and super peppy. We all, as Christians, you know, we have a witness to other people, and we shouldn't be Eeyore the donkey walking around saying, oh, it's sunny today, but it'll probably rain tomorrow. Oh, bother. You know, and we shouldn't be Oscar the Grouch telling people to scram. Because <laughs> we have a witness, and, you know, our joy should at least keep us from doing those things <laughs> to other people. Charles Spurgeon, finally, he said about this. <laughs> I don't have the whole quote up here because it's kind of long. I am bound to mention among the curiosities of the churches that I have known many deeply spiritual Christian people who have been afraid to rejoice. Some take such a view of religion that it is to them a sacred duty to be gloomy. And on the same subject, he said, turn this book over and see if there be any precept that the Lord has given you in which he has said, Groan in the Lord always, and I say again, groan. <laughs> See, it was worth the wait, right? <laughs> You're supposed to rejoice. That's a paraphrasing of Philippians chapter 4 where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. So I'm not saying that we need to put on a show, you know, and act like we're super happy all the time no matter what's going on or that we 
pretend like nothing bad ever happens in our lives or in our world. That could be just as harmful to other people around us as if we uh, were down in the dumps all the time. If we're, if we're like so like over the top, super excited, pretending to be always great and other people are feeling down, they're just going to think, well, why don't I have that? But you should have joy. It's deeper than happiness. It comes from our relationship with God. Now, last week, Ken shared about Paul's difficult life. The suffering that Paul endured for the gospel, he was you know, very much suffering throughout the whole time that he was preaching the gospel. He had, he had various trials. But he was, his letters, you read, he's just a very joyful person, right? Now, is he one of those guys who's naturally cheerful? His life before Jesus would say no. It seems that he's very naturally angry all the time. From the way that he persecuted and pursued the church, anger seemed to be his defining quality before he met Jesus. But after meeting Jesus and receiving his salvation, he became a totally different person. And is that because being stoned, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, beaten, jailed, hated by everyone, is it because that was so much fun that his attitude changed? No, you can only describe it as because he had the inner joy of knowing Jesus and being close to him. How come Paul and Silas could sing in prison and the littlest little problem can throw me out of whack and I don't have that joy anymore? I've lost my joy. Well, it's because problems are unpleasant. We, none of us like problems and, I, and we're not required to. God doesn't say that we have to like it when we have problems or when bad things happen to us. But we, we do need to trust Him in those things. The circumstances and troubles we face daily, the way that this world is all around us can steal our joy if we focus on those things. But when we turn our eyes to Jesus, then that joy returns. And Paul told us how to face problems and circumstances. He said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. In the context of that verse, it's, it's a very well-known verse, athletes, Various people use it all the time, and it does apply to all kinds of things that God calls us to do. But the context that Paul, of what Paul, when Paul wrote that was in the context of contentment. I can be content because Christ gives me strength. So you think about it like, you know, I can climb this mountain. I can do all things because through Christ who gives me strength. That's kind of what people kind of take it as, and that might be true, but contentment. Contentment is the thing that Paul was talking about. He's learned the secret, he said, to be content in any and every situation. And the, situ the, the secret is that he can do all things through Christ who gives him strength. Jesus will help us to be content no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how bad things seem. And it will prevent us from letting circumstances stand in the way of joy. You know, when we, when we take the circumstances out of the equation... Let me say, okay, I'm going to ignore everything that's going on around me right now. I'm just going to put it aside because this doesn't matter as much as my relationship with Jesus. Then we really have no reason left not to be joyful. Because if you take out away all that stuff that distracts us and gets in the way, which is not easy to do, I'll tell you that. But when we, when we really remember that it shouldn't matter 
at all. This world is temporary. Everything that goes on here doesn't matter compared to Jesus and our relationship with him and the eternity we're going to spend with him. So when we take all that out of the equation, there's no reason for us not to be joyful if we have a strong relationship with him. And we need to stop thinking about problems and joy as mutually exclusive things because you, you can have both at the same time. We will always have problems. We know that. In this world, we will have trouble. So we will always have problems, and we can always have joy. So if we're always going to have problems anyway, shouldn't we take advantage of the joy that's available to us? You think? God is bigger than any problem, and he's already conquered and defeated our biggest problems, sin and death. So if we can take those off the table, because Jesus did that for us, then all these other little problems or, or things that seem big to us, you know, kind of come into perspective. And we know that he works even, problem, even the problems in our lives for our good when we're following him. So we can trust that even the problems that come to us, that he's going to do something good with them. And we can have joy no matter what's going on. So if we're experiencing the inner joy of knowing Jesus and we have fellowship with Him, it'll overflow into how we act with other people and we won't be Oscar the Grouch or Eeyore the Donkey. And you know, maybe, we're not, or maybe we'll never be that bubbly person. We don't have to be. But we are someone that people can say, that person seems like a rock no matter what's going on in their life. They're, they're just the same all the time. They've got the right attitude. And then they might want to know why. And then we get a chance to tell them about our relationship with Jesus and that they could have that too. We'll also encourage our fellow believers if we, if we have that joy. You know, it's contagious. When I get to see all of you, it's an encouragement every week. And I'm told that I'm an encouragement to you, so that's good. <laughs> Your words, not mine. <laughs> so... We can have joy all the time. And I would much rather be asked, what is the reason that you're doing so well in this difficult situation? Or why are you so calm in this stressful thing? I'd much rather be asked that than, what is your problem, man? That's not what we want people to see, uh, say, oh, that guy's got an issue. He's got a problem. So the number two thing, number second verse we've got here is pray continually. It's also translated pray without ceasing. Now, we'll see that these three things, these three verses, these three exhortations are very closely intertwined. They all affect each other and feed into each other. You know, if we're doing the other two, then the third one will follow. If we're doing the first two, then, the, you know, the, it goes back and forth. So pray without ceasing. Three things intertwined here, joy, prayer, and thankfulness. But without ceasing, come on, i got a lot of stuff to do. I'm so busy. How can I pray without ceasing? I mean, that might be nice for some of you retired people, but I can't just drop everything and pray all day. Can I? That's not the attitude we're supposed to have. <laughs> Matthew Henry wrote about this. Note, the way to rejoice evermore is to pray without ceasing. So you see right there, the joy and prayer going together. We should rejoice more if we prayed more. We should keep up stated times for prayer and continue instant in prayer. We should pray always and not faint. Pray without weariness and continue in prayer. Till men should do nothing but pray, but 
till we come to that world where prayer should be swallowed up in praise, the meaning is not that men should do nothing but pray, but that nothing else we should do would hinder our prayer in its proper season. Prayer will help forward and not hinder all other lawful business and every good work. So we can pray all the time, and I think most of you know that, that you know, it doesn't have to be on our knees by our bedside at night or in the morning. It doesn't have to be the perfect time and situation for prayer that we can pray at any time in any place. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be out loud. We can pray a quick, God help me in this situation. We can pray, thank you, God, for this blessing. It should be something that we do all day long. We should set, a time, set aside time daily just to pray. That's important, too. Then we don't forget. But, I mean, if we only pray at night before we go to bed, or we only pray in the morning when we get up, or we only pray those two times even, we've got this very long gap where we've kind of lost touch with God in between, perhaps. You know, we, if we pray in the morning and then we say, bye, God, I'm off to work, I'll see you later, <laughs> you know, and just leave him at home where we prayed, then we're, we're missing out on that opportunity to be in touch with him and in communion with him all day long. And likewise, if I wait until evening to be the first time that I pray after all my kids are in bed and all the chores are done and everything, that I'm, I'm gassed. And, I, and I've, I come to God and I fall asleep in prayer. And that's, and, you know, a lot of us do, and that's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only time we have to pray, then we, we miss out because we've fallen asleep. And even if we don't fall asleep, you know, still, we went the whole day without talking to God. You know, some of you are married and, you, you know, like, I don't know, different marriages are different, but you might not want to go the whole day without talking to your spouse at all, right? I mean, my wife and I kind of check in with each other throughout the day. And if my wife and I can do that, then I can certainly do that with God. I don't need my phone to do that. I can just pray at any point in the day. Pray without ceasing. David Guzik said about this, there is significant important value in a time where we shut out all other distractions and focus on God in a time of closet prayer. But there is also room and great value in every moment of the day fellowship with God. So we don't want to lose the chance to be in fellowship with God throughout the day. So if we stop for just a moment in our busy days and thank God for His goodness or for a blessing that He's given us or to ask for help or to just admire His creation, you know, when we look out and we see like the leaves changing colors and or a beautiful sunset or whatever and we just have a quiet moment where we, you know, just praise God for what He's done. Or we think about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and we thank him for that. That should be something that happens throughout our day. And I'm guilty of this as well, that I, I will do that. I'll, I'll pray in the morning and then lose touch with God throughout the day, get busy, get distracted, whatever. But he's always there. He's always ready to hear from us. It's just we're, we're the ones who get in the way of that. Now, some of you might have heard about uh, this person before, uh, but some of you might not have, and it bears re repeating anyway. There's a man named Brother Lawrence. How many of you have heard of Brother Lawrence? Okay, handful. So good, I'm not, not repeating it to too many people. Brother Lawrence lived in the 1600s, okay? And he was a lay brother of an order of monks. So he didn't have any religious education. He didn't go to seminary. He joined a monastery as a servant. He did tasks like dishwashing, cooking, 
And when his legs couldn't hold up for him to do those things anymore in his older years, he fixed and made sandals for the other brothers. So he did menial tasks. And like I said, didn't have any religious education. He didn't have the easiest of lives. Before he became a lay brother in this order, he was a soldier because his family was poor and so becoming a soldier was a way to make sure that he got three meals a day and had some kind of income. He didn't have a trade to speak of. And he was wounded in battle. And in the 1600s, being wounded in battle was, uh, you know, it's always bad to be wounded in battle, and it can be terrible now too, but the doctors weren't what they are today back then. Uh, so he became lame in one leg from his wounds. But why, why do we still remember this man, this rather uh, ordinary man from the 1600s? You know, that was hundreds of years ago. Why are we talking about, he lived in France, by the way. So why on the other side of the ocean, hundreds of years later, are we still talking about this guy who washed dishes and made sandals? Well, it's because Brother Lawrence prayed all the time. He prayed constantly, all day long as he went about his business. And he didn't have an Instagram or a Facebook or Twitter to post his thoughts about God on. And yet somehow people were still drawn to him because of the peace and joy he had in his life. And they came to ask him questions about how did you get this way? So imagine this guy working in the kitchen in a monastery, which is a place like off by itself, away from other people, somehow without any kind of social media or TV or anything, news spread by word of mouth from person to person about this guy whose joy and peace was so extraordinary that you had to see it. It's, it's really quite fascinating, you know, when you think about it. And it's all because he prayed all day long. And the way we come to remember him is because when people came to see him, they would talk to him and they'd write down his answers to their questions and try to remember to do the things he did. And then uh, he wrote some letters when people would write to him, he would write back. And after he died, having never achieved any real like uh, fame or fortune or anything like that, he was still working there in the monastery and died. After he died, someone put together all of his uh, the quotes and the letters, and they made a little book called Practicing the Presence of God. And it's still very popular today. And you can find a lot of wisdom there from this humble servant. And one, one such thing is this quote. He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings at other times to thank him for the graces, past and present. He has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. Isn't that awesome? So this kind of continual prayer life that Brother Lawrence had is what we need. We all have that. I mean, if he did, so do we. I mean, we, we, we can have the same kind of prayer life that he had. 
I confess again, I'm, I'm often distracted throughout the day from keeping up this practice myself. I find myself in those situations where I've lost touch with God over the course of the day or, or even on the, in the busiest of situations where I haven't like sat down and talked with God for, for two days or, or whatever. You know, it, that can kind of snowball on us when we haven't talked to God and then the next thing happens and the next thing. Something's always there to distract us and keep us from reading our Bibles or spending time in prayer. And then we lose touch with God and we find that we've gone a whole week and we haven't spent any time with God and we're a mess, right? Because we need Him. He knows we need Him. But we, we try to fool ourselves and say, you know, that we, we're too busy right now. But we can experience the same joy and peace that Brother Lawrence did and it will draw people to us as well to find out what it is that we have that they need to, and that's Jesus. Now take notice in our section today, prayer is in the middle of the other two verses. Of joy and thanksgiving, we've got prayer. And prayer is key to both of them. If we are continually in prayer, we'll have more joy from the time we spend with God. And if we spend all this time with God in prayer, we'll remember things to be thankful for, won't we? Likewise, if we're struggling to be joyful or struggling to be thankful, we can go to God in prayer and ask Him to help us to be more of both of those things. We can even go to God in prayer and ask Him to help us to pray more, to be more prayerful. So I'll briefly remind you as we're talking about prayer. I know you all have a potluck to get to, so I don't want to hold you up too much. But a helpful acronym that we've, we've seen before, ACTS. A-C-T-S. These are all parts of prayer that are very important. Adoration, which is the worship of God for who He is. Confession, coming to God and bringing our, our sins and asking for His forgiveness, which He is faithful to give us. Thanksgiving, which explains itself and we'll talk more about in a minute. And supplication, where we bring Him our needs and the needs of others. Now, of course, a lot of us skip right to supplication, right? Because those are the things that are on the forefront of our mind. And, you know, understandably so. Those are the things that are going on in our lives that we need help with and that we need to, we, that brings us to prayer, that we can, need to ask God for help. And God doesn't mind that we bring Him our supplications. In fact, He tells us to bring Him our supplications. Our needs, our cares, cast our cares on Him. But we need to remember to do the other things too. He's worthy of our worship. We need His forgiveness, and He's worthy of all of our thanks. So remember this, Acts, and that'll help you to do all the different kinds of prayer that God should have from us. So that brings us to thanks. That brings us to the third exhortation, give thanks in all circumstances. So in four days... We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving in our country, correct? Four days, and today we're having our Thanksgiving potluck downstairs. And it's a holiday set aside and established to give thanks to God for all that He's done for us. It wasn't created so that we could watch a parade, stuff ourselves silly, and watch football in a semi-comatose state afterwards. Though I enjoy all of those things. <laughs> but the reason for Thanksgiving is so that our country, our, well, originally the pilgrims and their colony, and then later our country, would set time aside just to be thankful and to remember what God's done for us. So it started out with a, 
a Thanksgiving celebration 400 years ago with the pilgrims after their first harvest. They'd made it through that first winter, and many of them died. It was very difficult. But then they had uh, been befriended by Native Americans, and they had a harvest of corn. And so they wanted to thank God for their harvest. And for, for those of them that had made it through, they wanted to thank God for that too. And over the next couple hundred years, there were various times that different colonies would have Thanksgiving celebrations each year. But then in the midst of the Civil War, President Lincoln issued a proclamation for Thanksgiving to be observed nationally on the last Thursday of November. And in his proclamation, which I urge you to like look it up and read it because it's awesome. You know, when you think about what Thanksgiving means and you see all the things that President Lincoln had there, um, he thanks God for the many blessings that he's given to our nation during that year and mentions the war and the difficulties. But even in those difficulties, there, are thing, there were things to be thankful for. It was a very difficult situation, tough circumstances. The country was being torn apart. People were fighting each other who were brothers and relatives and friends. And yet, in all of that, it was a good time to give thanks because we can be thankful in all circumstances. And so a good example from the president for, for us to remember that, that Thanksgiving came out of, came, became a national holiday in the middle of a civil war. And uh, President Lincoln also encouraged people, as they were giving thanks, also to you know, just lift up the needs of our country in prayer as well. We need more of that in our government, don't we? So God calls us, too, to be thankful no matter what difficult situation we find ourselves in. Like Paul, we can sing in our jail cells, whether, whether our jail cell is a real one or, or just a challenging situation that we're in. Think about that, that Paul and Silas, again, they had just received a vicious public beating, and they were nursing their wounds, chained up in a dirty jail cell, and they're singing hymns of praise. It's just an awesome picture of the joy we can have in any circumstance because of what God has done for us. Thankful in all circumstances. We don't have to be thankful for the circumstances. We don't have to be happy about bad things that are going on around us or happening to us. Again, Pastor Chuck said, I don't give thanks for the trials, but I give thanks to God in the trials. If I've lost everything, I don't thank God for the fact that I've lost everything, but I thank God in the losses not for the losses, because I know that God is in control of my life. I know that God is controlling those things that happen to me because I've committed my life to Him, and I know that God loves me. And I know that God is working out a wise plan in my life, and He is wiser than I. And so in everything that happens to me, because God is controlling those happenings, because God is governing my life, I give thanks to God in everything, that He loves me, that He's in control, that He is guiding the things of my life, and that He's going to work out His good eternal plan and purpose in me. So we don't have to be thankful when bad things happen to us. We don't have to be thankful for those things. Some things are just bad. You know, there's lots of things that are just plain bad in this world. We don't have to be thankful when bad things happen to our friends and our family. You know, but we can be thankful that God is there in those things and that He's still in control. Matthew Henry said about this, It is never so bad with us, but it might be worse. 
if we have ever so much occasion to make our humble complaints to God, we never can have any reason to complain of God and have always much reason to praise and give thanks. So when bad things happen, those things might be bad, but God's still good, is what Matthew Henry is getting, to, getting at there. And that reminds me of uh, something that happened to me recently and has been happening. Uh, you know, last month I lost my dad. And in the day or so after he passed, I was listening to a song, and uh, a worship song, and I was reminded from the words of the song of James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And after I, after I heard that, I just the whole way I was experiencing that grief just turned right around, and instead of everything I was missing about him and the plans that I thought I had of all the things that we could do together with my kids and, and that he was going to be around for all these years. And I, I felt at first cheated out of them. And then after looking at that, I felt just incredibly grateful instead. Because instead of feeling ripped off of all those years that I thought I had, I was just thankful for the years that I did have. And I saw that those years... I'm 40 years old, but I had 40 years with my dad, and that was an incredible gift from God. And I've got so many amazing memories with him, and I've got things that he taught me by example about how to be a father. And some people don't have a great father in their life. Some people don't have one at all. And I had this amazing dad, and I've told some of you this as you asked me how I'm doing. That just totally changed everything around for me in the way that I, I... looked at the whole thing, that I, instead of, you know, it still hurts to, to lose someone, but to be thankful in it, to be thankful to God for what you did have, that, uh, that makes a huge difference. And now I'm thankful that God showed me that, that I could be thankful, because it's really helped a lot through all of it. So we can be thankful in all circumstances. We can be thankful that God is there with us. We can be thankful for even in those trials and those difficult things that have happened, that God's there and that he's still taking care of us and he's still going to help us through. Then we go to God in thankful prayer and we find ourselves being joyful always because we're praying without ceasing. We're thanking God for his goodness. We're experiencing joy. They work all together. Spurgeon wrote about this. When joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. So you can go in that direction as well. I want to be the kind of person who wakes up thankful in the morning for everything that God has done to me, done for me and given me. I want to be in constant contact with Him throughout the day and to lay down at night giving thanks again for helping me through whatever that day brought. It's not easy to keep that up. The book that Brother Lawrence's words were put into isn't called uh, getting God's presence once and then you're good called practicing the presence of God. It's something that takes work for us to keep practicing. Practice makes perfect, though. And we're all being uh, made perfect over time as we get closer and closer to when we will be made perfect when we're in heaven with God. So we'll be the ones who experience joy and peace that comes from God as we do these things. And... Just 
don't know where I went. Well, I lost my place there. <laughs> just as we're always, just as we're supposed to be always joyful, always praying, and always thankful, God is always faithful. God always loves us. God is always there for us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. So if God is all those things, we can do all these things. He doesn't change like shifting shadows. Now maybe you've never experienced this joy. Somebody here or somebody listening at home, maybe you don't have a relationship with God and you don't know how to have joy and you don't uh, know how to go to God in prayer and, and you don't have that relationship with Jesus. But He's made it very simple. You just believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you receive eternal life. And then that joy is something you have access to anytime. You can go to Him in prayer at any time. And you have so much to be thankful for because He's given you eternal life. He died to give it to us. He wants us to have it. So if that's you, then you should take advantage of that now. So let's pray. Lord, I do just thank you for this lesson from your word. I confess that I fail at all three of these things on a daily basis, but I pray that you would just help me to be more joyful, to spend more time with you in prayer, and to give you more thanksgiving for everything you've done for me. And for all of us, Lord, we, we all pray that we would be joyful, prayerful, thankful children of God who other people see and they want what we have because what we have is you. I pray for any who don't know you, Lord, that they would turn to you now and just ask, Lord, forgive me for I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe that you died for me and rose again and I put my trust in you. And that's all it takes. We thank you that for that, Lord, that for those of us who have that gift Thank you so much that you died for us. You've given us so much reason for joy. You've given us so much to be thankful for. And it's you who we can come to in prayer. And it's you who we just want to build our lives around, Lord. So help us to do that. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I don't see you downstairs. <laughs>